Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, I just wanted to kind of do a quick interjection here. This is not the regular intro. The regular intro will be coming in two seconds, but uh, I had a bit of a sore throat. I can, st- I still have it now. You can probably hear it uh, recording this. I've been a little under the weather this week, which, you know, as someone who spends most of their day on the phone with clients or uh, recording podcasts and doing stuff like that, not having a good voice kind of sucks. But anyways, I just wanted to uh, kind of let you know ahead of time, I kind of had a messed up voice in this episode. So bear with me. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'll let uh, the regular intro go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Edge Podcast by MGR. Your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I certainly am, as always. Uh, guys, I'm really excited. We have some great guests coming up in these coming few weeks. We've been working to get them lined up. On Tuesday, we have a new episode coming with a guest. It will be all about sales. Like, this guy, I can't give away too much. I can't give away who the guest is yet, but this guy is a sales genius and I don't and I'm not saying that lightly so anyways if you're into sales there will be the ultimate sales podcast on Tuesday coming up next week Uh, after that we have some more podcasts with great guests as well but that'll be next Tuesday before you before you head off for Thanksgiving a little food for thought a little brain food before you head off for your Thanksgiving real food Um, anyways you know, just trying to bring good perspectives uh, besides myself to this podcast through great guests. But today we're keeping with my perspective. And, uh, you know, the goal of this show is always just to uh, look at the strategy behind business and tech and kind of see what's really going on, understand what's really happening in the world, not kind of what the surface level shows and what we can learn from great companies and strategy that we can take away from just other people and other companies and today it's going to be more of that today we are discussing as the title might suggest the great brand shift a death of the middle and you're probably asking what brand shift are you talking about well i've been thinking about this a lot lately and not just thinking about it but kind of observing it i guess you could say and that is that companies that succeed in the digital world are going to be either using these new technologies to provide incredibly low-cost, low-price, convenient solutions at scale like Amazon or Walmart, right? that type of company, or they're going to be creating highly personalized experiences that build an actual connection with the customer. In almost every category, we're seeing a divergence of companies to one end of the spectrum or the other and you're seeing this for example like with the rise of airbnb most people who are looking for an economical stay are going to just choose to go with an airbnb they don't mind renting out a room uh, in someone's house just to save some money because a lot of times you can stay somewhere for like 25 bucks a night on airbnb which you cannot get with a hotel room but on the other end of the spectrum you're seeing a lot of hotels and resorts that are flourishing because they're focusing on providing a high-end one-of-a-kind customer experience that those hotels and resorts are going to be able to charge a premium for and people are willing to pay for. And that's just one example. But other categories that are following that shift are food, for example. You have the low-priced, convenient, I just need food that's cheap and now. And then you've also got this gourmet, healthy, 
really high quality, nice brand that people connect with. And you're also seeing it in personal care products, whether it's like makeup and cosmetics or uh, like Dollar Shave Club is a good example of the low price convenience side. Um, We're also seeing it even in B2B where companies are either one size fits all SaaS products or the polar opposite, a high touch, uh, personnel driven experience uh, with via service, kind of like what we do, right? There's kind of no middle there. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. It's very much a death of the middle and that you're either on one side or the other in the digital world. So let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So we've seen a lot of companies that have found themselves split between one side and the other who have basically faltered because they haven't they didn't choose a side and they found themselves in the middle and they've fallen because of it. And I'm gonna give you a few examples. The main one would be kind of like big big box retailers. I'm talking like Barnes and Noble, JC Penny, Sears, obviously most recently just went under. I think JC Penny, quite honestly, I'm recording this in twenty eighteen, November, if anyone's listening to this in the future. I think they will be out of business by twenty twenty. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think that they last much longer and Overall, this shift has resulted in what's called a smiling curve, and this uh, curve has been used to represent, um, originally it was in the computer business, in the PC business, but, uh, and if you're listening to this, I will, there's going to be an article accompanying this with some visual representation of what I'm talking about, so uh, be sure to go to mgredge.com to see that. But anyways, imagine your uh, smiling curve, if you're listening to this, um, that represents a I guess you could say the profit distribution across an industry, right? That where's the money going? And previously you had kind of an even distribution, right? But in this post great brand shift that I'm calling it world of the digital world, the middle has been squeezed out, leaving all of the value to the companies who are able to dominate at the ends. That's why it's a like a, imagine a curve with a smile and the, the line represents the dollars. So on the left side and the right side, you've got lots of money to be made, but in the middle, there is just not much money left because it's just been squeezed out to the ends. And this is because to be on the ends, you must excel at providing a specific type of value. I'm going to use Barnes & Noble as an example as to why they failed to compete with Amazon, but not just Amazon, but they were also able, well, they also were not able to compete with the local bookstore. A lot of local bookstores and boutique bookstores are still in business, and in fact, they're actually thriving right now because Barnes & Noble is gone. And this is why they were able to, they, this is why they failed, because they weren't able to compete with Amazon on price or convenience, right? Amazon is obviously going to beat them. Amazon has free delivery, free shipping, right? They have lower prices than Barnes & Noble. And so that kind of, that side's kind of obvious. But the side where they also failed to compete was with the boutique bookstore, because the boutique bookstore provides like this unique, cozy, warm atmosphere. You can sit down with a book, and if you're a book lover, it's just its ultimate customer experience, and you can talk with a book person who's like a complete expert, and they can recommend you books, and you can have conversations, sit down with a warm coffee, that type of environment. Barnes & Noble provided neither that customer experience of the ultra high touch kind but they also didn't provide the ease and convenience and low price that amazon provided so they like many others found themselves in kind of the mediocre middle 
They were not the best at anything, which meant they were left with nothing. And so that's the problem with all these companies like the JCPenney's, the Barnes & Noble's, the Sears, who were not the best at anything. They weren't the best at providing ease and convenience and low prices, but they also weren't the best at providing the ultimate customer experience. And because of that, they failed. And the reason I even stumbled upon this and really started to think about it was because this was happening in the B2B world too, the world that we at MGR operate in. And, you know, we have seen this same shift. This space has gone from an even distribution of profits. You have the, the, the what I call the tool makers, the SaaS companies, the coordinators, which are the middle, and the what I call enterprise partners. So these are the companies who make custom software, full service agencies like ourselves, etc. Like companies who work like strategic partners, very deep connection with the clients. And you have the SaaS companies who it's just basically, you know, a business pays a monthly fee to, and then you had the middle, the coordinators. And so the companies operating in the middle, the coordinators, a lot of times they call themselves advisors or agencies or maybe consultants, whatever, but they were coordinators. They would often, for example, purchase SaaS products on behalf of their clients, or they would contract out to full service agencies ourselves when it came to producing content or producing ad creative things like that um, for their clients if they needed a custom software solution they would go out and find the companies that make custom software and then try to facilitate the relationship between the client and the software company and so the coordinators really were just kind of advising companies or the clients on what solutions they needed and were facilitating relationships but really, they didn't do anything themselves. And these coordinators were kind of the B2B world equivalent of the mediocre middle. And they still are. They're, they still exist. But they've been getting squeezed over time. And so the SaaS and enterprise companies, enterprise partner companies, realized that they don't really need these middlemen and that they could go directly to the clients themselves. So SaaS products on the SaaS end they evolved and became easier to use. And again, like I said, in the digital world, using data, it's, it becomes very easy to get to create low price convenient solutions. And so the coordinators became less and less needed. On the opposite end, coordinators who were often communicating strategy between the software, the custom software makers, or agencies like ourselves and their clients were kind of getting in the way at times you didn't really need them it's it's all they were doing was relaying messages from the client to the people who are actually doing the work and so seeing as the coordinators were not really creating value in the chain they kind of have been getting cut out over time and the reason coordinators have been able to exist for so long and still exist like i said um but you know much lesser state is because they were able to provide value in one way, which is to the actual SaaS companies and to companies like ourselves. It's because the coordinators acted as a secondary sales force. So they would bring new leads and they would bring new clients to companies like us in exchange. You know, sometimes we'll offer a discount. Maybe they get commission on something because, hey, at least they're bringing us clients and we don't actually have to work for it. And the same goes for a lot of other companies like ourselves and a lot of other SaaS companies on the other end. But the problem with this business model is that the coordinators aren't actually providing value to the primary client, to the end customer, which is what really matters in the value chain, which meant, you know, as clients got savvier, which a lot of our clients have become smarter and smarter every day, and technology became technology became easier to use on the SaaS end, you know, the value that the coordinators 
who are kind of sucking out of the value chain by acting as a middleman became ever more apparent to the client. And so they have been squeezed. A lot of our clients will kind of go around their old middlemen that they used to go through and just come straight to us now. And the same is the same is true for SaaS. Why would they need some coordinator when they can just go out and buy the SaaS products they need themselves? So this has very much happened in the B2B space, just like it has happened in all the other industries as well. So if you want to stay out of the middle for your business, you need to focus on providing value to the end consumer, the end customer. And you must become tremendously good at doing a particular thing. You don't want to be like Barnes & Noble where you're not the best at anything and you end up being mediocre. You have to treat mediocre mediocrity like a disease-carrying rat. You have to avoid it at all costs and kill it if it gets too close. And all of this brings me back to the initial point. In a digital world, you're either one-size-fits-all convenience or you're building deeper customer relationships through a one-of-a-kind experience. The convenience or Amazon approach has been discussed to death, so I'm not going to go too much into that. I think most people are familiar with the value that Amazon provides at this point. So what's discussed far less, meaning where the great opportunity lies, is on using the same core principles as Amazon, but flipping that customer interaction on its head. There is still an innate desire for human connection, and customers are often actually willing to pay a premium for that connection, for that relationship. So the winners that emerge will be the ones who can leverage data and algorithms in the same way that Amazon and Walmart and all these companies do for convenience, but use it to build and maintain customer relationships at scale. This can be done by using data to get a deep understanding of customers on an individual basis. And you want to create content and create offerings that speak directly to that customer. Again, this is back to the bookstore example. A boutique, cozy, unique bookstore could never compete with Amazon on price or convenience, but they don't have to. They need to focus on providing the customer experience, the experience of sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, handcrafted, talking to a book sommelier on their favorite fantasy novels and a host of other things that Amazon cannot do that that bookstore can do exceptionally well. The brands who can execute the digital version of that and can create a great customer experience that you can't create if you're only focusing on convenience are the ones who will win. And the brands who don't, well, they'll find themselves in the middle. And I think by now we know what happens to the ones that get stuck in the middle. Anyways, let's get into the news. It's time for the news. So there's only one major news story from this week that I really wanted to touch on, and that is Amazon, Amazon's HQ2 debacle. You know, in, in a time of increasing polarization, when... You're able to get Democrats and Republicans to come together in publicly denouncing your actions. You got to ask yourself, was this really the best idea? I mean, I get it. Okay, if you're Amazon on paper, and for those who don't know what happened, um, I'm sure you do. But anyways, if for those who don't know what happened, basically they leveraged their capital and labor needs to curry the favor of politicians and give themselves an unfair advantage when it comes to tax breaks. But not only that, they split their second headquarters between two metro areas, D.C. and New York, instead of just being D.C. And, you know, it makes sense. I get it. From Amazon's perspective, it makes sense. We get access to more senators and that we can get political favors from. 
We get access to two labor markets instead of one. We get huge tax breaks. This is great. This is great if you're Amazon on paper, okay? In the short term, this is great. But need I remind you, Amazon, that the tax breaks you are getting are pittance compared to the riches that you already have. And this is not me talking about corporate greed or vilifying Amazon for wanting to get unfair treatment from politicians. Amazon is simply playing the game here. And that's a game that politicians benefit from. That's why the politicians craft the game to be how it is. But what I'm looking down on Amazon for, and especially Jeff Bezos, is for falling for the very trap that he's so long been revered for avoiding, the trap of short-term thinking. Bezos has consistently made decisions that neglect short-term stock price, short-term investor happiness, even board member happiness, everything in favor of the long-term vision. But for the first time, he did the opposite. The small rewards given through tax incentives and local government's favors pale in comparison to the horrible backlash that Amazon's brand is now getting. In a world where former tech darlings like Facebook and Google and Twitter have seemingly become public enemy number one, Amazon has managed to get by mostly unscathed. Both the media and regulators have for the most part not looked Amazon's way. That is no more. This blunder has brought the eyes of journalists looking for clicks and politicians looking for a war cry for their campaigns straight Amazon's way. Amazon played this terribly wrong. And for the first time, one of the great entrepreneurs of our time, Jeff Bezos, showed us that even he can fall victim of short-term thinking. Let this be a reminder to all of us that you can eat that tasty tax incentive donut but don't be mad when it makes you fat. All right, anyways, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. That was my rant on Amazon HQ2. Jeff Bezos, you're still a great entrepreneur, but come on, man, this was just dumb. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed. As I said, please leave us a review on iTunes. We are so close to 50. I think we have like... 48 or 49 reviews i'm trying to get us to 50 guys let's get to 50 reviews on itunes and uh anyways thank you for listening goodbye